Hello guys and welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always Steve Hall and today we have an excellent discussion slash a little bit of debating between Mike Isratel, who you guys obviously know, and Nick Tuminello. So Nick Tuminello, hopefully a lot of you guys know who he is. He is known as the trainer of trainers. He has been published really, really broadly, has come out with some excellent books and I've been following Nick for a long long time and I was very excited to have the opportunity to get these two guys to talk about things such as range of motion where partials might come into the mix of hypertrophy training and all things along those lines so you guys are in for a really interesting discussion here enjoy the chat Nick hit it well um Here's so if we're just kind of going off of this, all of this really started because of a call that I made to you, um, and really was just friendly because we're on great, great terms. I have great respect for your work, and uh, was inspired by you had posted something, and I'll let you specify what it was, but it was something that was more geared towards you could correct me, but like the average gym bro, I guess you would say, and it was talking about you know how you're better off doing full range of motion training, right? That's that's what I called you about, and then we we can continue on, but do you want to specifically go over that meme that you wrote or, or the infographic so that inspired this? Yes. I'm not, I'm not sure. Cause I put a lot of stuff about full range of motion training, but I, I will say that, you know, most of that is targeted towards folks who limit their range of motion for all of the wrong reasons. Um, mostly for ego and the ability to lift bigger weights. Mm-hmm. Um, and that encounters a variety of its own problems. I, I very rarely encounter a truly nuanced uh, argument about range of motion. I'm very open to those arguments. I was hoping you had some today, but my post was targeted at people, you know, like who do dumbbell presses, like a middle of the range of motion and need a partner to get the dumbbell press up because they can't even do it for a true one rep max um, and that sort of thing. And a lot of folks tend to say, you know, they'll sort of pay lip service to some, some notions about why limited range of motion may be effective in some cases, but the vast majority of those people are really just using that as a justification for essentially egotistical lifting practices they would continue otherwise, even if such a justification was not available. So that, that's my primary target with posts of that, that sort. And, and I also sure. think there are distinct uh, advantages to full range of motion training that I, you know, I could enumerate at some later point uh, that I think need to be considered at any time that we're willing to trade off a full range of motion uh, to something more targeted and more specific. Correct. Yeah. So what I had said is this would be a good idea for us to get on a podcast because I wanted, I thought it was a great concept to discuss some, some realities about biomechanics about what I would say is that what I would call the full range of motion myth. Now we're talking about, we're, we're getting past the whole ego based lifting, you know, just to put as much weight on the bar as you can manage and moving this far. We'd probably completely agree on that. Uh, and this is actually what my next book is about. Although I'm not here to plug anything. But when we look at free weights, free weights are just enhanced gravity. You're always going to have points in a range of motion. Let's take a bicep curl, which is just an easy example, where you have the least mechanical advantage, which is going to be provided your elbow. Well, it's always when your forearm, if you're using a free weight, it's always when your forearm is is perpendicular to the force of gravity, so 90 degrees. That's when you have the least mechanical advantage. And there's areas in in the movement when you have the most mechanical advantage and a lot of basically no mechanical tension across the tissues and it would essentially be when your arm is straight in a freeway curl or if your elbow com- completely goes uh, underneath your wrist, which is why a lot of people jump their elbow forward at the top. So my point that I, that I want to do this podcast is to get people to understand that 
just because you are moving through the full range of motion. And I need to specify within a given exercise, because someone will say, yeah, well, that's not the full range that your joint is capable of. So when I say full range of motion, I'm specifically speaking within the context of a given exercise. So the full range of motion myth is not that you don't need to train through a full range of motion, is that certain exercises, if you move through the full range of motion involved in the exercise, that you're getting strong through that full range of motion. And the easy example is um, a dumbbell press or a bench press or a push-up. When you forget about the concept that it's an exercise, you forget about it's a bench press or a dumbbell press or it's a horizontal press, forget about all these terms, understand that your body's just responding to force across tissues and joints. And your body is, principle of specificity always applies. So you're going to get strong in the areas of which you train in. We know that from isometric research and partial range of motion research. So if we agree that the, rate, the lever arm, and I understand it's a moment arm, but just for the sake of terms, it's the lever arm, is longest in a dumbbell press, push-up, or bench press when you're at the bottom of the range of motion, basically when your forearm is at a parallel to the floor, and you're training horizontal shoulder adduction. That's the movement that you're trying to strengthen. So when you get to the top where your wrist is now directly over your shoulder, you're no longer loading in horizontal shoulder adduction, but yet you have this much more range that is available to the joint that unless you do a chest fly with the cable coming out this way to create a force vector to make up for that, you are not getting what I would call, and somebody may have a better term for this, but what I would call full range strong. So I try to reframe strength training for non-weightlifters. What I mean by weightlifters is people competing in physique sports, Olympic lifting, powerlifting, things like that. Most people are not in the gym for that. They're there to just enhance the strength of their body, to be more injury resilient, to be able to produce, reduce, and control more force. So if you wanted to be able to do that through the capability of this joint, then just doing a horizontal press, even though you did the full range and you touched your chest or whatever you know ranges you go by, you are not creating full range strength. So that's one example of why I wanted to talk about this, how – you know, you can argue that if you're using a cam machine, you're getting more full range resistance based on the cam, although there's some research that shows even points of those are missing. We could talk about that. But even when you think you're training in a full range of motion, you are not actually strengthening through that full range of motion. And I could use some squat examples and there's some research, but I don't want to sit here and soapbox too much. And that's yeah. that was why I wanted to do this talk, not a debate, because we agree on these things, is just use sure. yours as a platform to get a little bit more in depth about what full range strength training actually entails when you, when you program it. And my argument is it actually involves multiple exercises because no one exercise can do it based on the limitations of leverages. Well, no, I'm going to have to have to argue that small point. Um, I think that the Turkish getup is the ultimate exercise for manhood so that if you train your manhood with a Turkish getup to failure, by the way, one RM, then you right. do truly develop and not just your body, Nick, your soul, which people don't really talk about training much. I think it's important, but on a serious note, um, you, you, paint, are, you paint the kettlebell blue. It has equal effects to Viagra, by the way. What? <laughs> Holy crap. This is mind blowing. Yeah, this is, I'm working on my guru status right now. I'm just Pretty trying good. to get with you. So that's going to be the new guru thing. So, oh, there's a cat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
So uh, the new guru thing will be like different colored weights actually affect your nervous system differently and make you more explosive. Reds for explosive, blue is for stress reduction. Anyway, um, on a serious note, I think those are awesome points. And what I'd love to do is throw out some examples of exercises that people commonly sort of overvalue the finishing part of the movement and think they're getting more out of it, whereas they really just need to be doing another exercise for that part. And whatever else you think are super common exercises, Nick, maybe you can throw them in after. So let me get this started. I think your dumbbell press example is excellent. One thing I think is really uh, funny, especially when you coach uh, beginners and they see this in the gym, so they ask you if you do it. They're like, so at the top of dumbbell press, I should clank the dumbbells together, right? And I'm like, you know, gravity only points down, right? What is it you think you're getting out of clanking them together? I have no, I mean, you lock out your, your elbows. That's it. That's all the muscle you're ever going to use. Clanking them together doesn't do a damn thing. You actually have to have, like you said, a uh, force vectored in that direction. Right. Another one is the squat. When like, you know, people get real excited about squatting for the first time, they'll do that hip tilt at the top of the squat where they're basically like having sex with the air. They'll, they'll do that power, like the hip drive forward. They'll do that with a deadlift too, like finishing the deadlift and leaning real far back for no reason, really uh, pushing the hips forward. It's like you're now pushing your hips forward. You could unrack 800 pounds. If you could stand up with it, you could push your hips backward and forward with it as many times as you like. Gravity yeah. doesn't apply to speaking of hips back and forward. The cat's doing the tail back and forth. Isn't it, cats just love attention. They know you're not giving them attention. You're talking to He's somebody determined else. to get YouTube famous. Unbelievable. So, so basically like people like pushing their hips through a ton on the deadlift people, you know, and I remember being young and learning those cues, not pushing the hips through during the middle of the lift, but at the top of the lift, they want you to drive the hips forward. And I was always like, yeah, that's really easy. And it doesn't seem like it's working anything. There's no actual resistance there. Yeah. And, and people sort of continue to do that. And they usually do some kind of grunt at the top. So that always to me seemed, seemed kind of interesting that people uh, would do that sort of thing. Um, and uh, it kind of, I uh, just, another quick example, I don't know if this really applies, but people, when they do pull-ups, instead of just doing a pull-up and getting their chin over the bar or touching your chest, whichever way you do pull-ups, mm -hmm. they'll do this exaggerated, like bird head thing over the bar. Where they're like, like, look at me. Like, are you trying to decapitate yourself? It never really quite occurred to me why that was the case, but yeah. it's kind of like that finishing movement of really and, and people will say like you really got to fire your glutes at the top of that squat and it's like boy oh boy it's really easy to fire your glutes against no resistance yeah it's just maybe you should be doing hip thrusts instead if you want that angle and not even instead was really a, a terrible point to make like you said you're gonna want full range strength and right. in some cases right. even full range muscular development i think there's no replacement for multiple exercises and I also think, and maybe we could get your thoughts on this, like uh, from industry experience, the mythology of trying to look for the one perfect exercise for a muscle, which I just, I, it's like, look, you, you, you train at a gym, you got some time, why not two or three exercises for nine sets total versus, you know, three each versus one perfect exercise mythically that you're looking for for nine total sets. Why does it even have to be a thing that we're looking for? So what are, what are your thoughts on that? Am I missing? Are there any exercises, Nick, that stand out to you that are just like people woefully overdo them at the top range of motion or at the bottom thinking they're getting some extra stuff out of it? Well, yeah. And well, I, I think you make 
the points that you're bringing up can be summarized when you're talking about, you know, squeezing the glutes at the top and squeezing the dumbbell. And I get that. You're just creating a little activation because you are creating a, a, a force that way. What you're saying is, you know, I just mean touching them together, like clanking them. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you're, you're obviously not working against the force that's resisting. And right. if you squeeze the dumbbells together, I get that a little bit. But I, I would say it, it, it's summarized like this. Most of those things and, and trainers and strength coaches and, and folks, we think we're all not guilty of these things, but we, we, we are. I, I say it's how you differentiate memorizer from analyzer. And, you know, it's good to start when you memorize concepts. You memorize checking boxes. You memorize, uh, okay, I need to do a knee dominant movement and a hip dominant movement. Or you need to, whether you're bodybuilding, I need to do, you know, an incline press and a decline press and a flat press, right? Um, and and it, for the most part, that'll, that'll get you down the road. But if you've been doing those things for a while, so again, we're speaking in people who are a little bit more um, intermediate to advanced lifters who want to take, who want to maximize their time. What we're really talking about here is minimizing redundancy. Now, redundancy in what? Redundancy in exercise selection in regards to how you're putting force across tissues. So what we're, we're talking about in the same way is that Forget about memorizing exercises because that's gets you to put certain exercises on pedestals and certain people that you learned it from on pedestals. And none of those things ever can hold a candle to physics and principle of specificity, right? Which is adaption. So what I'm saying is analyze how exercises put force across tissues. And when you do that, because your body's going to respond to that. Um, from a strength perspective. Now, actually, let me say one thing real quick. Um, if we're talking about building full range strength, and what we mean by that is reframing it instead of getting good at an exercise, which would a power lifter would want to do, or someone who just cares about bench press or squat. If you're trying to get full range strong, you're looking at how do you load a joint through your available active range. And normally that means multiple exercises based on the concept we talked about. We can certainly say by principle of specificity that doing that will make you stronger because if you don't load in certain ranges of motion neglected by other exercises, you're only going to get strong in the areas you, you train in. We can't necessarily say that it's better for hypertrophy muscle size uh, because that seems to be for lack of a better term, more about overall volume. Um, that being said, um, that being, so I can't say that if you, if you minimize redundancy to load your pecs, based on the concept we're talking about, and you did a total of 30 sets per week, that that would get better hypertrophic response than if you did 30 sets per week of the same loading range, right? And you neglected down here. You could ch you might know research that I don't on that one. I'd actually like to hear your thoughts. I would say, though, that it'll certainly get you stronger in those ranges because you're you're distributing the range by mixing up exercise, you're distributing how you're loading through ranges, and that's a principle of specificity. I would say, though, that if you are going to look at a volume perspective, it would be smarter to distribute your volume in a less redundant manner so you get the full range strength while you get the hypertrophy. So, um, and I want to hear your thoughts on that, but I'll just circle back. When you start analyzing how force gets across tissues, you become like Neo in the Matrix. You know, when Neo got into the Matrix, Instead of seeing a bunch of FBI agent looking dudes, he saw ones and zeros. Everything had a transparent quality to it. And he wasn't confused anymore about conflicting information and, and what was real and what was not. 
And one of the big issues that trainers of all walks have and exercise enthusiasts is conflicting information. I don't know who to believe, but I want to make the most of my time and my efforts because my time is valuable. Well, this, if you look at exercises in this manner, everything becomes transparent to you and everything becomes non-style based or trend based. It becomes principle based that is, is going to, it was here long before you were born. It's going to be here long after you die. So you're not going to, if you guide your programming based on these concepts, it's not going to go out of date and you're not going to go wrong with it. So, um, I want to hear yeah. though about, uh, and the we'll hypertrophy about, thing. about, yes, uh, about hypertrophy versus. I think that there is some decent evidence to illustrate through several studies that different regions of muscle uh, or gross muscle tissue uh, grow more and less with different exercises and different ranges of motion and different types of contraction. Um, it's, for example, very clear that the clavicular fibers versus the sternal fibers can grow differently depending on the angle of pushing you're doing. Um, it, there's also, you know, uh, it's pro probably the biceps grow a bit differently when you do pulling motions versus curling motions, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of very good, uh, some, some good evidence and very good reason to believe that um, muscle hypertrophy can only be completely achieved uh, you know, you're really sort of milking everything when you perform most, at least, of the basic types of muscle actions and engage all of the fibers. Mm. So, uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where if you bench press only, can you get really big pecs? Yes, maybe 70, 80% of the way there. But those are huge pecs, right? Mm. If you add in some incline work, can you get 90, 95%? Yes. But I think to get 100% pack development, you're going to have to do some flies to get that type of contraction and get the particular fibers that don't you turn on as much or don't take as much force uh, 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 because every time they get to where they want to be trained, you're already locking everything out. So this part right here. You mean, so you mean cable flies. You don't mean dumbbell flies. You mean cable flies. That yeah, cable flies for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so you know, those dumbbell flies are just another way to get the same thing that presses. And, and uh, but, but I will say that the particular kind of motion that you do with dumbbell flies um, and the particular angles of pull may be different enough than bench press and then incline to maybe have it as a valid rotation uh, for sure. But but particularly pec deck, which I think is a shitty exercise, I never feel it. But uh, cable flies or machine flies, which exert the full, uh, so they exert the forces all the way to lockout. Um, and it might even be some argument for cable crossovers that really allow you to push the pec all the way over. Um, yeah. I think that's, you know, it's still the same line of poles. There's a little bit less of an argument there, but I think it's still valid. And if you want truly complete development, exercise diversity is, is really good. What we do have to um, do is understand that the specificity of the exercise cannot overplay overload too much. So what I don't like to see is people doing some weird cable, warm, this and that's, barely have any load, barely disrupt the physiology at all. Uh, homeostasis is not disrupted. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm targeting, you know, this part of my abs. And it's like, you know, targeting doesn't mean feeling it. Targeting means disrupting it enough for it to grow. And then the exercise sometimes is just not con conducive to that whatsoever. I'll actually give you a, a sort of a, a good example. 
uh, I remember Brad Schoenfeld got into an argument with someone about this. Uh, uh, so like a one arm uh, reverse grip tricep uh, cable push down. Yeah, which one is bad? I remember seeing that. Right. It's like, you know, Brad made the point, I believe, that, like, you know, the, your thumb can only hold so much. And unless you use your wrist wraps or something, it's just going to be a thumb exercise. And your triceps are going to get nowhere near fatigued. And this guy just wasn't having it. So it's one of those situations where if someone was like, you know, um, yeah, like you should, I definitely agree with you. You should have muscles from all angles. Like I'm doing two sets of this, two sets of that. The program has 10 exercises for triceps. And in, in one of the exercises, two sets of like reverse, you know, whatever extensions with the reverse grip. And it's like, man, I think there's an overload problem there. So I think that bringing the science of the matter and, and practical considerations together also with people's schedules, you know, forget about bodybuilders, just talk about real world people like folks that you're talking about that want to get all around strong. There has to be, I don't want to call it an art, there has to be a sort of a, a consilience um, developing to where we end up seeing exercises that are just real good general development moves and two right. or three of them, which meet the specificity criteria and the overload criteria and fit the person's body, we're going to have like maybe five moves per person that they're going to rotate around two or three at a time over the years that are really going to be the meat and potatoes of full development. For example, um, you know, if you're looking for glute development, um, something like uh, a squat or hip hinge movement of some kind, any kind of hip hinge, something like a barbell hip thrust and something like a lunge variant or, you know, the peak contraction for the glutes leg behind, mm -hmm. uh, sort of the basic variants of those motions are going to be where most of the glute growth and, and strength development comes from. And there's like, you know, that glute machine, the, the bikini girls co-op, the lap, the assisted pull-up for the glute machine where they just step on it and it rides yeah. around. Yeah, like yeah. We're just tying their legs to various implements and kicking the leg around yeah. and t 10 different angles it's like, yeah. man, I'm just not sure what it is you're after there. So I think what ends up happening is there's a lot of talk, uh, rightly, of nuance and making sure you hit all the fibers, but the resultant proper execution of that just focuses on several exercises at a time. They just have to be very uh, selectively chosen exercises, which a lot of people just don't know how to choose. So, so they'll do, like you said, movement redundancy. Where they'll be like, here's a glute program. We squats, we do deadlifts. And then uh, we do stiff-legged deadlifts. That works the glutes in the exact same way every single time. So good job. Fuck that up, right? Like maybe we should do squats or, or deadlifts on one day and then a hip hinge uh, and uh, like a reverse lunge. And then all of a sudden we're hitting the glutes from, you know, mostly the big angles that they're going to be hit with. And, and there's some, yeah, there's some like uh, argument for, you know, adduction, weighted adduction and stuff. I'm not so sure I'm sold on that being a, a huge glute hypertrophy contributor, uh, but maybe there's some room for that kind of stuff as well. Sure. So let me uh, let me give you some of my practical because we we've we've talked a lot about this. Some people are like, hey man, you know, I'm the same way. I'm like, look, just tell me what I can do. How can I better use this? Right. So um, I would say here's how I go about it in in the simplest terms. Um, we all agree that we, we look at the, the big compound lifts, their standard lifts, squats, deadlifts. And again, not everyone fits every, you know, to every version of that, but for the most part, those are, those are great moves to incorporate it if you can. So if you're someone who is okay with doing the, you know, the standard compound lifts, what I would say is then use isolation exercises, not just normally we just leave it at that. Oh, well, then I got to do some isolation exercises. But per what we're saying, sometimes you could actually be loading the muscle in the same way 
An example is if you did dumbbell press and you did bench press and then you go do dumbbell flies, but you're still maximally loading the pecs here and you're getting nothing up here. So instead, have a smarter approach, and my smarter approach to using isolation exercises is to load ranges of motion that you missed by the bigger compound lifts. If you want one practical, simple takeaway, um, that's what we're talking about. And I have to give my good friend, strength coach Vince, Vince McConnell out of Alabama, he and I had a phone call last week, and he always he's a quote machine. And he said something the other day. He said, what you're trying to tell people to do is stop sweeping the same area of the floor. And, you know, you're, you're start sweeping areas that they're missed, that they're missing. And I said, brilliant. I got to steal that, but I'm always going to give him credit. So thanks, Vince McConnell, for that one. Um, and that's what we're really saying to do. And, again, it, it's, get, it's getting past memorizing exercises or, or looking at Arnold's Encyclopedia Bodybuilding or, you know, so-and-so method or so-and-so, you know, training pyramid and just saying, you know, okay, I'm trying to strengthen this, this joint movement and this joint movement and this joint movement, whatever it is for the knee. Uh, how do I best load that? And it normally involves different exercises. And rarely can you, even though you move through a full range in a given exercise, rarely are you actually loading the full range of active range that the joint uh, can accomplish. So that's one takeaway. And again, using isolation exercises to fill in the gaps, essentially. Now, um, what I'll say is just speaking some research because I think some people watching this will like to hear a little bit about a little bit about that. Uh, I mentioned this study in my, in my back training workshop that I did when we were in Australia, but it's relative to squats, but it applies to everything. So it's really about physics and force vectors and all the things we're talking about. So a group of American football players, if I remember correctly, it was football players. They were, they were trained athletes. Um, we're given a squat program. And volume was equated. Everybody did six sets. One group did, and they all did the same relative R1RM, uh, relative load to their 1RM. They didn't do 1RMs. They did like sets of six or eight or whatever it was. But everybody did the same amount of reps relative to 1RM, same amount of sets. The only difference was group A did six sets, full range of motion squats. So all the way down, all the way up. The other group did three sets, full range of motion squats, all the way down, all the way up. And three sets partial range of motion squats, but with a heavier load relative to 1RM. So if you're doing partial ranges because you have a better mechanical advantage, your 6RM is going to be a heavier load. And at the end of the study, they looked at who got who gained strength. Well, everybody gained strength. Who got stronger? Well, it was actually the split group, the group that did the full range and the, the partial range. And Steve, if you want, I can send you the link to this study so everybody can check my facts. I certainly don't want everybody to believe me. I want them to be as skeptical as me as I am of them. Um, but the, the nice thing about that research is it applies to everything we're talking about here. And I want to make a big point of what that research highlights is that if you're talking about strength training now, you, you're limited, every exercise, your strength is limited to the point of the range of motion involved in the exercise where you have the least mechanical advantage. So let's say that in the squat, it's when your femur is parallel to the floor. That's when you have the longest lever arm at your hip joint. So if, it's a, if you're talking about improving your 5RM strength, forget about the weight on the bar, forget about your numbers, it's all about the force going across your hip joint. Yes, I know the knee joint is involved in other things. Let's just focus on the hips right now. 
Um, it's all about the force going through those joints now and your body's responding to that. So as soon as you start going up in that squat and you start shortening that lever arm and you gain a mechanical advantage, well, now you're no longer loading the hip joint at a five RM level. And when you're a little higher in the squat, so are you, are you creating five RM strength through the full range of the squat? No, you're not. You're only creating five RM strength in the point of range of motion and the range of motion where you're weakest, which is where the lever arm is the longest. Now, that's where resistance bands and chains come in for accommodating resistance. But what about something like a back row where it's the opposite of a bench press? Where a bench press, you are gaining a mechanical advantage on the load. But as a row, you are losing a mechanical advantage because it's a distance between the weight and my shoulder joint. Now those are, the distance is increasing versus it's decreasing. So here's another way that people, when they don't understand force across tissues, if you use really heavy bands as you're rowing, you're losing a mechanical advantage and then you're adding bands that are getting heavier. You're making it even harder on yourself to create to keep good technique, which is why most of the time you see people, even who are very, uh, really big on technique, they get to the row to about here. And then you see that you see all these little jolt type type moves. So using resistance bands is not always accommodating resistance. It's only when the band is getting heavier as you're getting stronger relative to your gaining a mechanical advantage with a, with doing rows, you're actually, it's unaccommodating resistance. Now, one of the ways I apply this, and I talked about this in my seminar, and I can get more into details here. I'm not going to give the whole workshop, but because of this, if the weight is heavy enough here to load me appropriately to create a disturbance, like you said, I like that, a physiological disturbance to create adaptions, then what happens when I gain a mechanical advantage when I'm in this range? It's not heavy enough anymore. It's not my 8RM. So when I do rows, I actually break them down into two. I use partials. I'll do some areas of sets where I focus on the top part of the range and then some parts of the set, uh, some other sets where we grab a heavier load and I focus more on the bottom parts of the range because of the leverage changes to accommodate. That's a, that's how I use accommodating resistance, but I do it in regards to changing rates relative to the ranges. Okay. So, um, one of the interesting things that, uh, like uh, the splitting the rope into, into two exercises is really cool. What I tend to do is it, it was a long, a long time ago that I, I first encountered this problem, sort of theoretical problem um, with rowing specifically. And uh, also vertical pulling movements are very similar. Um, like the, the banded pull up is kind of a shitty exercise because like where you need the tension the most, you don't get any and where you don't need it, you get the most. So it's actually worse than even a regular pull up. But um, what I tend to do is, one of two things. One is I will do uh, a different load of rows. I'll still do both with a full range of motion, uh, just for some stretch under tension and more activation, so on and so forth, uh, some metabolite stuff. But what I'll do is one exercise, I'll go heavy with the intention, let's just call it a barbell row. Usually I switch exercises. Um, I'll do a barbell row where the only point of the row is to do a full, you know, length extension, no swinging and touching the tummy. There's the bar touches the tummy and that's it. Then I'll do a switch to a dumbbell bent row where it's, you know, uh, same, same as a barbell row, except there's dumbbells bent over. 
the weight will be much lighter, way lighter. I'll still do a full stretch uh, just to reset the technique and everything, get a couple other benefits. But what I'll do is I'll really arch into it at the very top, pull the dumbbell super high, like crunch my shoulder blades back and hold that for a split second to generate the highest forces right at the top of that range. Nice. So the exercises to an un, sort of like an untrained person look the same, but they feel very different. And I think yeah. another huge benefit, especially for those involved in bodybuilding, is to search for machines. And Steve, this will be a, a, a something you, you've probably done before. Search for machines that actually give you that proper accommodating resistance. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, bodybuilders will say this machine feels like shit. This one feels great. I love when I find a rowing machine that can allow me to use uh, – that presents less resistance at the top of the movement than at the bottom of the movement because it really gets me that peak crunch and contraction that I really like so much yeah. that barbell rows, et cetera, simply can't do. Um, yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's also – exactly. because So, so for example, uh, one of the great machines for this is a super simple machine. It's just the chest supported row with the lever that sticks like this. The lever moves this way. As the lever moves up, it, the gravity uh, – you know, the – the cosine is less and it is, it, uh, gravity uh, just clearly just has less effect on that, on that motion. And all of a sudden at the very top of the motion, it's actually easier than the very bottom. So you get an awesome stretch at the bottom and you get a sweet peak contraction at the top. Uh, what I'll say is this, uh, a really common, this, oh God, I, this is one of those things that just gets to me. It just, there's no real good reason that it makes me pissed uh, to the degree that it does. When I see it in gyms, when guys take something like a cable row or a, um, a chest supported row and they put like four plates or five plates on the shit and just do this with it. And then they'll mm-hmm. do the same thing with bent rows and the same thing with one arm dumbbell rows. And I'm like, well, what is it you think that you're getting? Why are you even switching machines? You're doing the same dumb shit on every machine. Uh, right. and, and, and there's clearly, they're neither working the stretch with the highest forces nor the contraction where you get the rhomboids and uh, right. middle traps involved. So they're essentially missing almost everything. And it's funny, I've worked in with people like that. Like they're using a, uh, the chest supported row. And I'm like, hey, can I work it in? They're like, sure. And they like look at the weights and there's three plates on there. And I'm like, Bloop, I take like two, two and a half plates off, put like a plate and a quarter and do like, you know, 15 full range, like, like one second hold contraction at the top. Yeah. And they're just like, no one ever makes, I've never seen anyone even, and no one's even asking me about it because my back is like three times bigger than that guy's. And he's like, he just doesn't pay it any mind. He's like, oh, interesting. That guy's really weak, but he's big. And then he proceeds to slap three plates on just like always and do this half range. And I was just like, if a guy was doing a 10th, I remember one time I was at the gym and I was a bro back then. It was like 19 years old. I was doing partial squats all the time. And I saw a guy with huge quads and coincidentally, I mean, I think he was just trained properly in general, huge triceps is the two things I remember from him. It was huge quads, huge triceps. And he was doing less weight than me in the squat, but he was doing true Olympic weightlifting style squats. I'd never seen that in my life. He was as ass was touching the ground pretty much and a perfectly tight back. And I was just like, wow, I'm a fucking idiot. And then I just started squatting like that. My legs got like three times bigger. It was amazing. And it just, I don't, it's it's just, uh, I don't know why it irks me so much, especially on the row things when it's so clearly obvious to anyone that's tried like if you do a row that actually allows you to some peak contraction it feels like some shit is happening with the other one it just feels like your joints hurt i don't know i suppose people don't pay attention to stuff like that to begin with yeah man well i think talking about looking you know what 
the, the standard stereotypical bro, you know, kind of thing that is, is again, two takeaways I'm going to get from this. Because a lot of times those stereotypical bros are looking at you and going, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right? For sure. So there, there's, because we always want to look at everybody else and say they don't know what's going on. So one of the takeaways from this is that you can't necessarily look at somebody who may be doing something like partial ranges of motion and think they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to use myself as a good example. So I'm not the biggest guy in the world. You're, you know, significantly larger than me. So I don't look like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a tall guy. I look like I lift, but I'm not like an impressive, you know, lifter type dude. Right. So I don't fit any of those, check those boxes, the social boxes. And if you don't know any of my reputation and now let's see, you see me training a client and you see me doing partials with somebody, I can give you a really great explanation as to why, but you'll look at me and you'll go, well, that guy clearly doesn't know what he's talking about because he doesn't look the part and he's using partial range of motion. So he clearly is a sucky trainer, right? But mm-hmm. uh, I, I would beg to differ. <laughs> um, that's one thing. So the other thing is going back to the whole looking at force across tissues and what you said is when you forget about the ego stuff and you analyze exercise, you realize that what I, what I want to try to get people to realize is that most exercises are partial range of motion exercises, even when you think you're doing full range of motion. So again, let's go back to the chest press. You're trying to train, you're trying to strengthen horizontal shoulder adduction. You're trying to train that movement pattern. If you're not trying to be a weightlifter, that's what you're trying to get stronger in. If you're trying to be a weightlifter, you're trying to get good at the bench press. Different, different goal. So, but the, the, the movement I'm training is this. I want to get strong in, the, in this whole range because sometimes I end up here in jiu-jitsu or whatever. Same thing goes with pulling the other direction. So if I'm trying to create strength and to be able to produce reducing control force to minimize injury risk and all those certain things, then I'm then a dumbbell press, a bench press, or a push-up is a partial range exercise because I've not included any of this range. So even though the exercise is full range, it's not training through a full range. So we can't just say partial range of motion training is garbage. We can say it when it comes to the ego thing like you're talking about. But whatever, what I want everybody to realize, which is really bringing full circles, why I thought it was a great idea to, to call you and have this conversation, is when we really get down to the physics of the matter and looking at force across tissues, it, anytime you have what I would call a single, single force vector exercise, if, you're, if it's gravity, which would be a free weight as long as momentum is not involved, gra- gra- free weights are enhanced gravity. And if you're using a cable, the cable is the force vector. There's going to be certain areas of those, those movements where you have so much of a mechanical advantage or you're basically directly in line with the force where you're getting no force across the tissues that you're trying to train. And there's other parts where you're getting a large chunk that you're working. So another example, let's just look at the shoulder raises. You're really only loading the delts from here to here. You're not loading them at all down here. So is it a full range shoulder exercise for full range strength? No, because I can do this whole movement. So even that is a partial range exercise. And that's what I want to get people to understand. So they better understand. They know what they're talking about when they talk about the context at which full range of motion, um, partial range of motion is a poor choice. You gave great examples of when it's the ego fit, you know, where you're not, you're not, you're just kind of squeezing the weight and go, look at me. I'm so strong. And you're, you're totally leaving a lot on the table or when you look at it and go, this exercise is really great for loading 
this part of the range, but it's really bad for loading this part of the range. So I need to load something this way to make up for what this one didn't. That's understanding that every exercise is in, in a way is, is, is a partial range exercise, even though it visually it doesn't look like it. Yeah, totally. Uh, just one thing I want to add is when you're going about selecting sort of intentional partial, partial range, which clearly like, like a half row, the top side row or bottom side row. Right. I think there are, uh, or let's just use the squat as an example. It's a pretty easy if you want to incorporate partial squatting into your training for a good reason, and that reason is not bodybuilding, it would be uh, you know track and field or something like that. Um, sure. There is there are some good ways and bad ways to go about this, and I think one of the benefits of full range of motion, even when it's not truly full, like you pointed out, is standardization. I know that the dumbbells start you know by my hips, and I know I swing them out to just over parallel. And that counts as a repetition. And if I cannot do that with good technique with, without using momentum, I can know how, reps, how many reps short of failure I am. I can track my progress. I can actually uh, uh, sort of uh, in, induce progression. I can track progress. I can see how strong I'm getting, how, how, how much many more reps I'm doing, so on and so forth. So that standardization has to be conserved even when you're doing partial repetition exercises. Or there should be some effort to conserve it. So here's what I mean. I think... Um, when someone is truly sort of uh, evidence-based and is logical and attempts to do partial squatting, and this is what you see when, uh, back when I worked at the Olympic training site at Johnson City, we did this all the time for track and field and sometimes weightlifters, a partial squat is almost always, almost always a squat to pins and back up. And you would say, well, why are the pins there? Well, one, so they're for safety because partial squats a lot of weight and you're, you go a little too low and you're not coming back up. Mm-hmm. But mostly they're there to standardize the range of motion so that you know if you're doing mm-hmm. 200 kilos for sets of three one week, you know 205 for sets of three the next week is going to provide that much more force, that much more volume. Because even – you know, Nick, very well that you know if you descend this far in a partial squat, it's a certain force in moment arms. If you just go one inch lower, it's almost completely different exercise. Who yeah. knows if you're overloading then? It, it, what ends up happening with guys that – you spot a guy in the bench press and he, he's going like sort of middle of the range. And you're like, you know, I, I talk to people probably, to, I'll probably start too many conversations at the gym when people ask me to spot them. Uh, I'm like, Oh, so like, what's your PR? And they're like, Oh, I'm, you know, like 300. And I'm like, okay. They're like, what are you going to do today? And they're like, I don't know. I'm going to try like 290 for a set of five. I'm like, okay. Like what's your best at 290? Like, Oh, I said a three or four. And then they do this partial range stuff. And I'm like, so how do you know, like, how far to move up and down? How yeah. do you know if your set of four this week is better than your set of four last week? Maybe you right. cut each rep by 30% and all of a sudden, you know I mean? Like uh, it's the equivalent or easier. So it's one of those things where if you're going to go and select partial motion exercises to accentuate a particular range of motion, make sure you standardize that. Just it, it doesn't even have to be like you don't have to put pull to, from blocks or anything like that. Just give some thought to standardizing the motion because if you get too far into, because you know it's it's easy to go down the or the bodybuilding bullshit wormhole, and, and be like, yeah, I'm not feeling the active tension in my quads, bro. And all of a sudden you're on the Smith machine, 
upside down or some shit doing some weird stuff. And you don't have no idea how to track that. No idea how to overload it. And all but of a sudden it's like, well, track your Instagram followers from that. Oh, well, that's overloading for Instagram, right? It's Instagram, speci- Instagram specific training. Oh, wow. I think we just made that's up a great concept. Shirt. That's a shirt. Instagram specific, Instagram specific <laughs> training. Like, so what are you training for? Instagram? Be like, yeah, what meat do you have coming up? Like, no, you understand. Instagram is a daily competition that I'm always in. Right. So, so I think that kind of stuff, I think it just, it's just one of the benefits of, of full range of motion training, like locking out a bench press and touching your chest. Isn't yeah. so much that there's something magical about that, although there's some good stuff. It's that you can standardize it and count properly. And I think partials, when they're done properly, uh, should be standardized and counted in that same way, especially for range of motion and technique. Um, you know, in, in almost all strength athletes that are interested in standardization, they already do that. You know, yeah. in powerlifting, a partial b- bench press is not a thing. What is a thing? Uh, press from the pins. Board press from chains, board press, and board presses count the number of boards. It's super straightforward. You know, people don't say, what do you board press? They say, what do you one board? What do you two board? Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very definitive thing so that you can track it. They just hate going to the gym and getting people all these fancy ideas in their head about partial ranges. Is, is, it can be an advantage, which it certainly can. And all of a sudden, they're doing just, you know, what you can classify as general fuckery, where they're doing something, but they don't know what it is. So I think that standardization is, is a really good thing to take, take with. I think you bring up a, a very good point. And um, if we're talking about squats, just to give a practical example, obviously if you use resistance bands that they get heavier as you go up, that's accommodating resistance. Let's say you don't have those or you, you don't have two equal bands. One is newer than the other. One's peeling like an onion. You know, all these issues you run into with bands. Or you just don't like the feeling when you walk out of the bar and you're doing this with the, with the band. Or right? the rack comes up. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So one of the things that I like to do is if I'm looking at training different aspects of the squat motion is I will do partial, uh, sorry, full range of motion, barbell back squats, um, all the way as far as you can go. And then, uh, when I do partial range squats, I will use a trap bar with the high handles. And obviously it depends on, it depends on your height. Now I'm a shorter guy. So this, it's even more partial for me and we'll really, you know, stack that up. And I like that even more because the trap bar, you know, brings the weight even closer to to me. So it minimizes any potential risk if I may overload my lumbar. So I would, even though I, I yes, I know some people call it a trap bar deadlift, but the mechanics are more. Like yeah, it's really deadlift. not. Yeah. It's so, a lot. So I, in my, you know, people can call it what they want, but if you train with me, I'm going to call it a trap bar squat because I'm looking more at the mechanics, not at the exercise. So if I might do six sets of, of squats with you all in five or six RM, I will split it up and go three sets of barbell back squats with a given load, which is going to be lighter and three sets with a given load of trap bar using the higher handles. And that's how I, instead of just crazy stacking you up with the, with the squat and then having no, as you say, no standardization of how low you go. And it's less safe. Yes. So now I'm looking at the time here. We're, we're past your hard time limit. Are we, uh, hard time limit that was a movie i started in once back in the 80s nick <laughs> yeah steve why yeah. are you laughing you pervert that was hilarious wasn't it unbelievable <laughs> the, the, the british the british always known for their lewdness yeah steve i want to let you know that you your insights in this have been extremely valuable and i've, I've learned <laughs> damn it i was gonna make that joke oh well um so all I right well, this up. <laughs> pretty much man i think we're good to go i gotta get running here okay um, cool you don't run. Don't don't bullshit us. You don't run. Yeah. Okay. Running is a, a metaphor for just hobbling. <laughs> okay. You don't have to tell everyone that, Nick. It's embarrassing. Uh. Right.
<laughs> I don't mean to, I don't mean to hurt feelings. No, no worries. Uh, I'm triggered, by the way, officially. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for having us on, man. Yeah, thank you guys for coming on. Um, I'll be sure to kind of have a summary at the end for the listeners because I think you guys both touched on some amazing points there that just really well explained. So thank you guys for having a great discussion. Thanks so much, man. It's an honor to be able to do this, man, and I appreciate what you're doing to give us a platform for the field and uh, hope we can do it again. And Mike, thank you for everything that you've done as well, man. You're someone I have the utmost respect for in, in the field and I continue to enjoy learning from you, brother. Nick, thanks so much, man. Um, I will see you in, in real life sooner than later. And that's a that's threat, sir. Absolutely. I'm, I'm <laughs> awesome. I'll see you guys later. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that kind of discussion between the two fellas. I obviously didn't have a lot to say, but I did think there was a lot of points made and I thought it would be useful for you guys for me to summarize some of those very briefly right now. Obviously, we will have a takeaways video as well. So the first thing I wanted to say was that we need to realize there's no perfect exercises that are going to hit the muscle at its full range completely. Therefore, we want to have some variation within our training program if we want full muscular hypertrophy. The second point I want to you guys to realize is that you do want to train exercises at their full range of motion. That's kind of a different sort of debate that the guys were having versus what they were actually talking about here. And it's something that I think was really unique to this podcast. The next thing I wanted to talk about was if you are thinking about using a partial range of motion movement, that you really want to standardize it and really know why you're using it. It's quite easy just to chuck something in just because you can lift heavier at it or you think it's good. And it's a different thing to actually have it very much standardized and put into your program for a given reason. So my next point for you is obviously already touched on in that we want to have a wide variety of exercises challenging muscles in different ways so that we can make sure that we're hitting every single muscle fiber much like we use different repetition ranges to potentially use more different muscle fibers and make sure that they're growing an example might be the fact that to get the full kind of hypertrophy of the hamstrings we want to have a hip hinge movement something like a good morning a romanian deadlift straight leg deadlift but also a leg curl movement to make sure we're getting both um, of those kind of muscular contractions going and finally my final point is that never use partial range of motion as a way for your instagram ego so cheers guys hope you've enjoyed this episode as always like it like the video subscribe to the podcast and i'll catch you soon cheers guys revive stronger